0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, December 15th, 2021. Just 10 days till Christmas, though, Aaron, you just came across something that would be a really cool... A gift, I guess, for Christmas. For me. Yeah, well, I don't care when
1: you get it for me. I'm not going to (laughs) say Christmas next year. I don't want to wait that long, Jim. (laughs) Okay, well, well, you explain what it is I'm supposed to be chasing down for you. All right, well, it does come out August of next year, so it is closer to a Christmas uh, time present for next year than anything else. But Alex Ross, my very favorite art east for Marvel, is writing and doing artwork for a graphic novel called Fantastic Four Full Circle. Uh, A couple of things of note about this particular project. It will be an oversized graphic novel that will showcase Alex's beautiful artwork. Hooray for that. Mm -hmm. Alex is excited because it will also showcase his experimental new art style, which I'll be looking forward to seeing what his experimental new art style is all about. And then uh, finally, it's a retelling of the origin of the Fantastic Four But he said he's been wanting to tell this particular version of the story for many, many years, maybe even a decade or two. And now he's got the opportunity to both write and do the artwork for. So this is all him, baby. It's Mm -hmm. all coming out of his brain.
0: And I can't wait. I'm very, very excited for that. Cool. All right. Well, no, I I will tell you what, I'll get us two copies. because This this sounds like something I want as well. You were also mentioning as we were pre-gaming that it looks like unless somebody manages to make a deal, a lot of YouTube fans are going to get coal in their stocking, right? Uh, Thanks to to the Walt Disney Company.
1: Yeah, and this seems more like a, a ploy that happens every year. Uh, your local news channel or, you know, like an ABC or a Fox or a CBS, doesn't matter. They all do it. Mm -hmm. They'll say, we have not yet come to terms with Dish for the 2023 year, and you could be losing our wonderful channel and all of its elaborate services that you rely on every single day. So unless you call Dish and yell at them and say, you need whatever this channel is that's begging for your support, uh, you could lose us forever. (laughs) And that's really just not the case. And so uh, YouTube is now the one touting the the sky is falling message. Mm -hmm. And what they're about to lose is ESPN, FX, ABC. Jim, you know who the owner of these companies
0: are, right? It rings a very vague (laughs) bell. I I want to say a rodent is involved somehow. Absolutely, yeah. Up to 26 channels
1: could be taken off of the YouTube TV app streaming service if they do not come to terms with Disney on negotiating a new price. Now, I'm certain Disney would like more money for their product that they're offering, and YouTube would like to pay less money to keep the product online, and by putting out this message, they're hoping, they're praying that you, the loyal consumer, will go to Disney and say, how dare you? I need to have Disney things viewable on YouTube when really you could just go sign up for and matter of fact I just did uh, renew not just Disney Plus this year but I got the triple the trifecta the Hulu Plus oh. the Disney Plus and the ESPN Plus for the discounted rate and uh, yes I mean you don't have to you don't have to go to YouTube to get your Disney content you can tap it straight from the tree get the syrup straight from the <laughs> the maple there if you wanted to
0: if you want it to. Okay. You know, I just, I spend a surprising amount of time on YouTube these days. Do you have Disney Plus? And if you do, do you have it through Disney or do you have it through YouTube? Uh, actually, I have it through Disney. In fact, I think we got it through D23. They had some amazing deal where if you signed up before the launch You got uh, like three years for this ridiculously low fee. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're
1: good. So you're covered for a couple more years before YouTube can lord that over your head. This is
0: true. This is true. Okay. But on the other hand, when you saw, uh, and by the way, folks want to stress this right up front. Second half of today's show, Aaron and I will be talking about Hawkeye episode five and while neither of us have managed to actually see Spider-Man No Way Home held the, the Thursday evening preview screenings don't even begin to till, till tomorrow. And it, it then officially opens in 4,325 theaters across North America. That's just kind of startling that many theaters. We, you know, during this time when we're seeing, you know, the pandemic surge. I don't think there's a lot of competition
1: for screen time right now, so <laughs> they could, <laughs> they're airing it. I saw an old lady hanging up white sheets and they're getting ready to project it onto those later uh, on today.
0: There we go. There we go. Well, all right. I'm just going to warn you folks that we are in fact going to be talking about this on the second half of the show. So if you don't, you know, and there will be some spoilers, um, so if you you want to go into this John Watts film clean, or for that matter, if you're behind on your episodes of Hawkeye, just tread lightly into the second half of the show today. But when you mentioned, while we were pre-gaming, that you've already seen the two end scenes from No Way Home. Did you see those on YouTube?
1: I I will not say where I got my <laughs> contraband, my illicit <laughs> material, my stolen goods. That would just be wrong to give up your source. I stand corrected. I- <laughs> by the time I got done playing it, there was a. When you go to hit replay and watch it again, there yep. was already a copyright notice. This has been taken down to copyright holder said, "Hey, that's mine. Take oh. that off."
0: Oh, wow. so you? I mean, you had to be quick on the ball today with that one. Okay, okay. So that was the equivalent of a, a Disney whack-a-mole. That
1: exactly was what they were playing today. Yeah. A different Uh, rodent that they were having problems with.
0: There we go. There we go. All right. Well, before we head into the news segment, the news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay. So Spider-Man No Way Home. Had its Hollywood premiere on Monday, December 13th. By the way, Drew Taylor, who I do fine tuning with, has seen this film and really enjoyed it. Talked about the big emotions and the surprising turns and, and that sort of thing. And reviews are already bubbling up. Um, most of them were posted today. They're largely positive. Film currently has a 94% freshness rating over Rotten Tomatoes. Current financial projections suggest that this Paramount Pictures release. Will sell over its opening weekend 130 million worth of tickets in North America, an additional 160 million overseas for a projected worldwide gross over its opening weekend of $290 million. Which, given that Spider Man No Way Home has a running time of two hours and 28 minutes, is impressive in and of itself. And I think on the last show, we talked about when the tickets went on sale that. Fandango crashed and you know that there's huge demand for this. And you and I had previously talked about how Spider-Man No Way Home had been marketed. And we talked at like that the battles that supposedly Sony's PR department and Disney's PR department was having and how Marvel Studio was was basically trying to referee. In the end, the fact that they were able to keep so much off screen, so to speak. By cutting together a trailer that actually su- suggested that that first trailer sort of hinted that Dr. Strange might be the villain of this movie. Is that what you got out of that? Well, that's what they were hoping we'd get out of it. Oh, well. There was so much stuff they were trying to keep hidden for those folks who, who were going to go on opening weekend. So that, that seemed the safest course. You know, it's Stephen Strange. He's he's a mean guy. He's, he's beaten up Peter Parker. But evidently, the the promotional campaign paid off. The news coming out of the trades is 18 to 34-year-olds, the most coveted audience segment by exhibitors because they have the most disposable income. So these are the folks who go up to the concession stand and $7 soda, please, and a $10 popcorn. They do that without even thinking. And if they like a film, pre-pandemic, this was the audience that would go back time and time again. I think it's going to be interesting to see if that is in fact the case.
1: From the sounds, from the the reviews of there's just so much, it's so densely packed with good material. I wonder if there's a lot of blink and you'll miss it type of moments that would Mm -hmm. encourage you to go back of, I got to see that one thing again Mm -hmm. because it was so brief, so quick, but it was so cool. Mm -hmm. Similar to um, Ready Player One
0: yes you know where
1: there's like a thousand little Mm -hmm. easter eggs that you could pick up on of different franchise characters and and whatnot not that we're expecting different franchise characters in the spider-man movie at all but that densely packed i gotta see again to to catch
0: these cool little moments to be honest you're not wrong you know the, the the folks at marvel and disney and Sony. Especially Disney, because remember, this is the first time they were allowed to put a good chunk of money into a Spider-Man movie with the hope that they would then get their back end. But everybody's kind of hoping that this will be the first film released in the global pandemic that will do a billion dollars worth of, of ticket sales worldwide. I face it, Shang-Chi wasn't able to do that, and, and that had a freshest rating of, of 91%. It had an audience rating of 98%. Which normally should have translated in huge ticket sales, but Shang-Chi struggled to pull in 224 million domestically, and it sold an additional 207 million of tickets overseas for a box office total of 432. I think it missing out on the Chinese
1: market hurt it in a significant way because it's the first Chinese superhero we've got on screen. And China says, hard pass. No, thanks.
0: Yeah, you are not wrong there. In fact, to compare and contrast of the top five box office films this year so far, four of them are Marvel. But the one that really blew the doors off and largely again, because it could go into the Chinese market was F9, the the fast saga. That only did 173 million here in North America, but it managed to do five hundred and fifty three million overseas, and that was largely because it could get into China.
1: I like that it's F9. They just gave up on the whole Fast and Furious thing. It'd be like if the new Spider-Man movie Spider-Man 5 was just Spidey, the next one. <laughs>
0: Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if the, well, we'll, we'll get to what Amy Pascal said about the possible new trilogy in the second half of today's show. She's just laughing, rolling in a pile of money. That's all that's happening right now with Amy Pascal. Not necessarily, but again, we'll get to that. But speaking of somebody who's who's probably at home, rolling in a, a large pile of money. Scarlett Johansson settled her multi-million dollar lawsuit with the Mouse House just recently and to prove that there are absolutely no hard feelings, at least as as far as Marvel Studios is concerned. Scarlett was just named the producer of several upcoming Marvel projects, by the way, none of which have been named or shared or anything. That's all in the Marvel vault. And when asked by Collider if it was weird to be going back to work at Marvel after suing Disney... Johansson replied, as far as Marvel goes, it's like working with family there. I've I've worked for 10 years now with these guys, so I've got creative shorthand with them. And besides, Marvel has some of the best, uh, very best IP there. And if you work there, you're encouraged to dream big. Nothing's ever off the table, and you can throw all these blue sky ideas around and see what sticks. So when you, you got a studio like that, a creative playground that's just a dream, why wouldn't you go back to work? Which I have to tell you, Erin, I got so many notes about how you kind of nailed the way celebrities talk on Colbert or Fallon or, oh, yeah. you know, just sort of like you were doing a great job of channeling the, this is what my publicist told me to say.
1: I will say all of the play adjectives, praising all of the people that I work with, and I will say absolutely nothing about the project I'm working on because it's so very top secret, I'll get fired. Because that's what pleasant people do when they work together is they threaten your job with termination if you say the wrong thing. Smile, smile, blink, blink.
0: Ding! Well, <laughs> but this is what I kind of like about Samu Lee, the gentleman who played the title role in Shang-Chi. He's still not quite polished yet, So, when he talks, you get a little more truth. So, he was out doing publicity for the Blu ray of Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, which, by the way, hit store shelves back on November 12th. And he was asked by comicbook.com about his thoughts about the recently announced Shang-Chi sequel. And I, to be honest, it was kind of a refreshing take. It's like, I guess it wa- I wasn't the most surprised given everything that had happened, but I'm just relieved to hear that Destin Dino Crichton is confirmed to come back. Again, not a surprise, but it, it's just so good to hear the engine turning and like, great, great, great. We get to tell more story and more delve into the characters and hopefully provide some more badass fight sequences. So just the fact that, yeah, we, we all kind of knew what was coming. But it's just nice that, okay, we got the same director back. But the other thing that's been kind of interesting, a lot of stories now are beginning to leak out about how Marvel actually took advantage of the pandemic, at least when it came to Shang-Chi and how this film was initially supposed to come out February 12th of this year, which, which would have been the first day of the Chinese New Year, which Aaron plugs in totally with what you were just saying about how Marvel really wanted this movie to come out and be big in the Chinese market. But if you think about it, this Marvel Studios release actually had three different release dates. It had February 12th, May 7th, July 9th, before finally locking in the September 3rd date. And during that time period, Shang-Chi was test screened. And Destin Daniel Crichton uh, convinced Kevin Feige that there were two aspects of Legends of the Ten Rings that needed to be changed and that they should use this time to their advantage. And one of them was, and this I'm gonna to have to go back and watch the film now because they talk about the flashbacks that accompany Wen Wu's death, the Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Destin explained to the Hollywood reporter, we weren't totally getting into Wen Wu's head like we wanted to. The the idea was these flash for these flashbacks came late in the game. When we put them in and showed them to Kevin and the team and then did a test, finally people were feeling the emotions that we wanted them to feel in that part of the film. The other part, and this is kind of surprising, the mid credit scene with Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner and, and Brie Larson as, as Carol Danvers was conceived and then shot in early 2021, which, which meant if they had stuck with their February 12th release date, this wouldn't happen. Uh, those characters wouldn't have been there. And supposedly Banner and Danvers were both deliberately chosen because those characters represent the science and space side of the MCU mm-hmm. and their appearances in Shang-Chi line up supposedly accurately with other events that are happening in the MCU around this exact same time, which To me, says this is stuff that we're gonna learn about in future films in phase four? Does does that sound correct to you or
1: if it's happening at this exact same time, I don't know. I mean, Marvel is starting to get really good with their flashback material Mm -hmm. of first year and present day, and then we take you back to another moment in the MCU history. Mm -hmm. So if they handle it through a flashback, yeah, I could see that, Mm -hmm. but I don't see them doing I'm I'm more thinking if they did a World War Hulk storyline somehow still, because that is Banner also being, you know, cosmic and out in space. Although we already got part of it in Thor Ragnarok where he did his thing on Sakaar, Mm -hmm. but we still hadn't gotten he was in the comics. He was banished. And Mm -hmm. we've spoken about this before by the Illuminati, which was Tony Stark and Professor Mm -hmm. Xavier and all the smart people of the uh, Marvel universe.
0: Namor. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and then uh, Hulk came back to get his revenge because Mm -hmm. his wife died uh, with a, and I think she was pregnant at the time or whatever. But anyway, Mm -hmm. the, the comic story no longer lines up in any way with what we could get with the MCU. However, Hmm. Space and science and having Danvers and Banner still could lead to, because we have She-Hulk coming up, Hmm. and we know that uh, we've got Bruce Banner involved in in that storyline somehow because mm. Mark Ruffalo is ready cast for that. So I could see something like that maybe, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many different things that they could do. When we end up talking about Hawkeye, we'll end up talking about some things I did not expect to see. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah. uh, involve some flashback
0: material, much like we're talking about now. So that, yeah. That, that we did. <laughs> okay, and just a couple of other neat stories associated with the production of Shang-Chi. Kevin Feige, evidently while he was at the premiere of Spider-Man: No Way Home, got actually asked about Shang-Chi. He was talking with the Hollywood Reporter about the opening of that film, where the characters are speaking Mandarin and they have English subtitles under them. And you know, remember, we, we talked earlier about they were they were doing the test screenings, and evidently Kevin talked up with the Hollywood Reporter about we were always ready for the audiences and the, to reject this in our test screens but Destin, the, the director of the film, very much believes the audience would go with it. And sure enough, they did. It wasn't even a question. It wasn't even a concern. On, on, on the contrary, I think it actually added to the authenticity given that this was the way the movie started. And which, by the way, this comment dovetails nicely into something Samu said just this past week when he spoke at the 19th annual Unforgettable Gala, where uh, this, this young actor received a breakout in film honor. And, it almost sounded like Samuel was, was talking about Destin when he, he said, there are so many people who are fighting the good fight, showing me what it means to be unapologetically Asian. The more I think about it, <laughs> the more it feels like a superpower. Again, circling back to Shang-Chi's director, Destin Daniel Crichton. Now that he's been officially signed to write and direct the sequel, a collider asked for a status report on this highly anticipated follow and Creighton had flat out admitted like I've done zero work today. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> Good for him. Good well, for him, I gotta say, yeah. Yeah, you know, but 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 he wanted to say, actually a fun place to be, by that I mean everything's a possibility. We're we're just tossing around very loose ideas at this moment, and hopefully we'll eventually start to hone in on something. But when push for specifics, Destin went on to say, there's a lot of ideas w- that we had in the opener. And some of those ideas have been planted these questions at the end of our movie. And there are things we could potentially explore in the future, but, but everything changes so much. So it, it's hard to say how many of these ideas will actually make it to the finish line. There's just, just so many there and where Shang-Chi ends up and who he, he winds up battling with in the sequel If we're being completely honest here, Aaron, it honestly kind of depends on where the MCU is at that point, whether we're still in phase four or phase five and what's being set up and needs to be paid off from an earlier film or a limited series, which brings us to what got revealed in the end credit scenes of of Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, Likewise, I I think what you just referred to in regard to episode five of uh, Hawkeye. So we'll be back in a moment, folks. But again, I want to warn you, there will be spoilers, limited spoilers, but spoilers even so. So you've been warned. Before we get to talking about Spider-Man No Way Home and episode five of Hawkeye, we've talked a little bit today about the impact that the pandemic has had on the MCU. And there was a story over this past weekend, Aaron, that I'm I'm pretty sure that you saw. the, The one about Letitia Wright? Yep, I saw that and sadly disappointed. A couple of things here, folks. We finally actually have some details about what happened to Letitia in that accident that happened at Worcester, Massachusetts back in July? Turns out pretty severe injuries. Uh, Letitia ended up with a fractured shoulder and also a concussion with some pretty severe side effects. So that's the story about her being sent home to recuperate and how Ryan Coogler was going to shoot around her and hopefully that she'd be able to return to the set, and evidently her recovery was taking longer than expected. So the production of Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever was put on pause in November with the idea that they would all regroup uh, in early 2022 and, and finally shoot Letitia's scenes. The story that Aaron is referring to that is somewhat disappointing is that there's a rumor making the rounds that Letitia Wright who has put out some comments about vaccines and that sort of thing on social media in the past. Evidently, as of November 20th, she is still unvaccinated. And the problem is that the Walt Disney Company has issued a mandate that if you are going on the set of either a TV show or a movie that the the Walt Disney production or, or company is involved in, you need to be vaccinated.
1: I'm going to borrow a a Jim ism and say the Supreme irony, which by Mm -hmm. the way, Supreme irony is just regular irony with sour cream and tomatoes added to it. So that's a, that's a Taco Bell joke out there. (laughs) Anyway, the Supreme irony of this instance is Mm -hmm. if COVID broke out inside the MCU, she'd be the one, her character would be the one coming up with the vaccine to cure the world. Mm. And, and here it is. She, she can't take it. So now her beliefs aside, Mm-mm. it creates an issue if she's out what happens to black panther 2 do you recast shuri and reshoot everything Mm-mm. i mean and then how much would need to be redone because they've shot just about everything then unfortunately she was injured quite severely and there's Mm-mm. no joking matter about that but Mm-mm. uh then there's more left that they're waiting to shoot with her so how much would need to be redone and how much of the other cast members are involved in those reshoots. It's not just her, right? It could be, you know, what if it's a, a big battle scene and all of the girls are out on the battlefield, you know, that gets really expensive if you've got 500 extras. So you've got that to think about. Like if you're going to think about reshooting, you've got to think about what you need to reshoot and what that's going to cost you financially, because that changes the entire equation of your movie. And what about the idea of shelving it indefinitely? Is that where we're at right now, where it's just so complicated that they just say, you know what, put it on the shelf and
0: we'll deal with it later? You you ask a lot of very interesting questions there that I can't even pretend to have answers to. What I can tell you is I don't see a whole lot of wiggle room here. I don't know if you've been following... The Ingo Rademacher story, a longtime actor who'd been on General Hospital. Uh, at yeah, he he left
1: for not getting vaccinated, right?
0: Uh, likewise, Steve Burton. I mean, do we have a healthcare
1: worker hide in a dark alley and give them the jab without them consenting? <laughs> just uh, it's a vaccine
0: run. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you there. I mean, I was just talking with folks this weekend, where, for example, there is. The ESPN employee, longtime time ESPN employee, employee, much beloved there, you know, a very valued performer. But the thing is that she and her husband have been doing in vitro fertilization and her fear was They're spending all of this money to try to have a child. And, you know, that went to their doctor and it's like, can you tell me that this Vaccination isn't going to impact what we're you know we're trying to do here. And the doctor was,, like, I, I don't know what to tell you. We don't have any science to back that up. And you know, she went to her boss's idioious ban. And in the end, it's like, look, I'm really sorry we obviously want to hang on to, but this is what Disney is saying.
1: Well, I mean, when you make a blanket rule for the company, you can't have a special exception because then you have a thousand different special exceptions come up There we go. about, and, and I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, it's all unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And the thing is we like Letitia as an actress. And mm-hmm. I think that black Panther is a very important character for the black community to, to mm-hmm. have that role model out there. And I would hate the idea for him to just disappear and go away. And You know, at first, the idea of recasting T'Challa seemed just blasphemous. Mm -hmm. But the reality of, you know, time healing all wounds as a cliched phrase that gets overused. But, you know, time has passed and the sting will not be as sharp to see a new face put in that role. But I would hate for the idea of the character to just entirely disappear and then to to not have the sister, you know, she was a very important part of, of that mm-hmm. family dynamic. Oh, and absolutely. so if, if you've yeah. got to recast them, just if you got to recast one, just recast them both. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know what? The next time they show up, which could be two or three years down the road, maybe Peter Parker
0: will go, T'Challa, is that you? Gosh, I almost didn't recognize you. It's been so long. And just leave it at that. It's so funny you talk about recasting. Just think about it. In fact, I think HBO Max, It's it, it may be this weekend. They actually do the, they, there's a special, but the 20th anniversary of the Harry Potter film franchise. Mm-hmm. And you think about how Richard Harris as Dumbledore just did such a wonderful job for the first two films of, of that series. And then, of course, we lost him uh, tragically. And and Michael Gambone had the somewhat uh, difficult job of stepping in and filling that role. and. That film series didn't even break stride. I mean, it sure. was a very different take on, on Dumbledore, but it still worked. And that film series to this day, I mean, you know, we're 25 films into the MCU at this point, but those eight Harry Potter films, I think, you know, work beautifully as a series and the fact that so many of those actors stayed with the film series all the way through so yeah well we've got a new roadie we've got a new banner from Mm -hmm. what we
1: started with so recasting is not a non-starter for Mm -hmm. for disney or for marvel in this case it's a a real possibility Mm -hmm. and i you know i thought it was very kind and generous of them to even consider the thought of not recasting Mm T'Challa. Usually it's, you know, about what makes sense money-wise, not what makes sense Mm heart-wise. So uh, the fact that they were that considerate of Mm -hmm. everyone loved Chadwick, let's not touch that. It was nice, but like I said, time heals all wounds. Time is is moving on. The idea of recasting doesn't seem quite as blasphemous right now. And if Letitia has become a, an issue where she can't be a part of the movie, and you do have to recast her, eh, go ahead and recast it, and then rewrite the damn thing and just start over. Because hmm. you're not, you don't have the same constraints anymore. If you if you do recast,
0: I get that. I do. I just I, I so enjoyed her performances, Shuri. And again, when, when you, you watch end game and in fact, you were just talking on the last show about on your right, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that moment when the, the three of them come striding out of that portal, the sound that an audience made was just yeah. amazing. So, yep. all right. Well, speaking of people making happy noises, I have to say today, when I was watching episode five of Hawkeye, this show just keeps getting better and better. In fact, do you want to talk about Marvel's use of flashbacks, and can you talk a little bit about how Episode 5 kicked off? Yeah,
1: this is going to take a minute. It's like I went on a worldwide trip and stole everything from all of the hotels because, Jim, there's just so much to unpack. <laughs> okay starting off Mm -hmm. with i love the first Mm moments when we were connected to the black widow storyline of freeing the widows Mm -hmm. didn't expect that for the opening scene of the hawkeye show Mm -hmm. and then we've seen people get dusted and we've seen people come back from the blip but -hmm. this is the first time that we've seen someone from kind of their own perspective of being blinked out and brought back again it's an instant thing and and then the room changed around her and that was kind of a n- neat little effect but when yeah when she was going to splash water on her face and she turned to dust I was like oh my goodness mm-hmm. and then she came right back and I was like oh, oh, double oh my goodness <laughs> what, what's going on yeah it was wonderful
0: well first of all like uh, Elizabeth Pugh's work in Black Widow is, is one of my favorite aspects of the film and to see yeah. her just continue the same fascinating character. I, in fact, you know, as much as I enjoyed the opening, <laughs> the girl's night. Yes. In, in, <laughs> in- Mac and cheese with the ladies. <laughs> yes, yes. Now but- I tell you
1: that, that dialogue could have been clunky and stilted and horrible, mm-hmm. but those two girls give it their all and make it entertaining. And even though it's an exposition dump, Mm-hmm. It's a fun one because of the interaction of the two girls and and how their characters play with one another. It's it was a really good scene.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's one of the things we've been hearing about possible future use of Kate and and Yelena in. Is it the Young Avengers? Is that yeah. Okay, and boy, that would be a
1: wonderful team up to have them be like the Falcon and Winter Soldier, just you mm-hmm. know, the the girls on a mission. Mm-hmm. um I think that would be a heck of a lot of fun. I don't know if you caught during during the mac and cheese girls night. Mm-hmm. Did you catch Elaine talking about? uh Is my first time in New York. I want to go check out the new improved Statue of Liberty. Yes.
0: Yes. All right. You know. And, and again, I'm so glad you pointed that because. Are you assuming the same thing? I'm assuming that that that. It's a it, uh, the I, reference you're... to Spider Man. The when yeah. we get
1: that scene. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, they and the thing is, the amount of time that it takes to write a show and shoot a show and mm-hmm. then get the thing on the air and mm-hmm. and same thing with films, years ahead. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Spidey is coming out in like hours mm-hmm. from this episode landing, the timing. And the thoughtfulness to yeah. get that that little thread to connect mm-hmm. so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's, that's impressive.
0: I agree. I agree. But at the same time, there was that lovely moment of Clint in the city and the fact that New York has supposedly put up a plaque honoring the place where the Avengers first assembled. And yep. that was cool. But I also really enjoyed his talk with Natasha at that moment about what he had to do. Right. It was good scene after good scene after good scene. I mean, even just the scene where Kate went home to her mom and was vulnerable and sad. And, and we've been watching these two struggle to reach out to one another. And, and and then to lead up to that great action scene in the, the, the parking lot at night, though I have to say the lead up to that where the two tracksuit guys were in the car talking about, are we liking the Royal Tanner Bombs? Yep. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's kind of a deep cut, but I, I really liked it. It
1: does. I, I a couple of things I like that Linda Cardellini has mm-hmm. yet to be the girl, quote mm-hmm. unquote, that Clint has to go save or chase after. Like anytime there's a hero, mm-hmm. he's always got to tell me where the girl is. Yeah. I got to save the girl. Like they lose their identity and just become the girl, the object that you have to chase. And Linda Cardellini is more like his moral compass. Like he's like, I don't know what to do. I got to, I got to do this thing. And she's like, you don't need my permission. You go do your job, but she's important to Clint. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, never the MacGuffin that he has to chase after or protect. She's, she's got her own identity, which
0: is nice she's smart, she's tough. I mean, you know, that what's interesting with Hawkeye is you actually, you have learned why these two would have connected. It's not just, you know, this is my wife and I live in the country with my kids. It's like, this is my partner. This is a woman I respect and I value her counsel. And, you know, I mean, that's all killer. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which though, let's talk about how, after the battle in the parking lot, We have that, you know, American Sign Language with dialogue conversation Mm -hmm. between Clint and Maya. And do you think we're seeing the turn here for Echo or? It almost
1: looks like Echo, the series, is Mm -hmm. going to be Maya hunting down the plot and the people behind her father's murder. Mm -hmm. You know, if if it wasn't really Ronan, then who was it and why? And that could be like the thrust of the, her storyline for her first season, mm-hmm. which is more really the how we get to know her. I mean, we don't we don't know much of her moral compass outside of she's out for revenge at the moment. And uh there's actually a really great series on Netflix right now called Voir V-O-I-R, directed by uh David Fincher. Oh, wow. And yeah. And uh one of the episodes is about not necessarily needing to like your protagonist mm-hmm. and uh, like Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, he kind of realized that the way for him to be a leader was he had to be unlikable to make the hard decisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, that revenge is totally acceptable. I mean, it's a, a dirty, ugly thing to take someone else's life. And so mm-hmm. we, as the audience are like, Oh no, I would never kill. Mm-hmm. Bah, but revenge. If someone murdered your wife, Oh, you would feel that rage and that desire to exact your revenge on that person. So in the fantasy of film, hmm. this is an acceptable storyline to create the hero's motive to go commit murder, which is otherwise unacceptable and would negate their heroness. If they just went out and murdered, well, you're a bad guy. So it, it was a really great look at, at revenge as a, a tactic. And I kind of think that's where Echo is going, is she's on a revenge plot. Mm-hmm. And because we need her as a good guy, it has to be a revenge <laughs> plot, and so yeah, I, I think that's where the series is headed. Unless, for un, some unexpected reason, they tie all of that up in the very last episode of Hawkeye, which I think would take a heck of a lot of screen time to to tell that entire tale.
0: Got it. What I have to say, I'm sitting here watching this with Nancy, and and they get to that final shot of you know on on Kate's cell phone. And it's one of these things where it's like, your voice just rang in my ear about, you know, so what's it going to be? At the end, this is going to be like the one shot, you yeah. know, just, then it goes to blackout. It's like, wow. So they had Aaron in the room helping them with the script. That's it pretty It
1: sucks to be correct sometimes. <sighs> uh, so it seems like Kate's mom is more of a baddie than the swordsman. Is that our misdirect for the entire oh. season was, we thought the swordsman was going to have a clink, clink, clink sword play with Kate. And it turns oh. out mom was the one that was uh, behind all of this mess, right? Right now oh, that's that, an interesting turn, that is an interesting
0: turn. But the most
1: important question out of the entire series, right now, mm-hmm. and you skipped over the most important thing, Jim. I'm ashamed of you.
0: I'm it's, it's,
1: is, I'm Clint, is yeah. Clint gonna don the costume made by the LARPers? <laughs> that's what I want to know right now. Do we get Clint in costume?
0: Uh, it's interesting you bring up the LARPer because we is it grill? Is that the grills? I, 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 grills. Yeah. You know, one of the things I have to admit I've been enjoying about Hawkeye is uh, grills and the LARPers would be so easy to do as comic relief. Just, you know, a one-note thing. And the fact that they turn out to be complex and supportive and and helpful. It's kind of like, do you remember, uh, do you ever see Galaxy Quest? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember how they introduced the fans of the show and their they obsessive nerdy kids yep. who are, you know, in episode four and that sort of thing, but they turn out to be a key component of the crew that the was actually succeeding. In fact, that there's that wonderful moment where they're bringing the ship in and the kids are actually standing in the parking lot with the fireworks to bring the ship in uh-huh. um, the, the fact that. What could have been a one note gag character got complex and deep and redeemed, you know, and, and somebody, the audience could get behind. That's one of the reasons I've just, I've so enjoyed Hawkeye is that with the luxury of these six episodes, as opposed to trying to tell the story in just two hours of screen time. Yeah. Um, it's just been a pleasure all the way around the building.
1: That was another thing I wanted to bring up and, and kind of ask you about mm-hmm. when you are such a fan of structure. Mm-hmm. Film versus television. If you do a film, it's usually the traditional three act play, right? Opening, mid, and then big mm-hmm. climax at the end. For TV, you have to have a cliffhanger every hour for like nine hours because mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta have a reason to tune in next week. Like every soap opera is like, Donna, what are you doing with my brother? It's like there's always a, a thing that keeps you coming back for more. So when it comes to, like, Kingpin is the perfect example. Mm-hmm. What are we tuning in for next week? Well, geez, man, you just showed me a picture of the Kingpin. Mm-hmm. Of course I'm tuning in next week. So you don't really need the same three-act structure as film. You don't. When, it, when, you, when you get to our MCU characters... And, and this is something that we can talk about over the course of uh, shows in the future, but mm-hmm. is, is there a character that you would rather see ditch the three-act structure and go to the small screen because you have different storytelling structure? Like right now we're talking about the luxury of letting a, the character breathe to have these moments that we wouldn't get in a film simply because of the fact that we have more time. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we're now ditching structure as well along the way and doing something different than than you would do in a film also is a huge improvement, I think, on your storytelling capability. In much the same way the comic books were when I read them as a kid, because they continued from month to month and they told the story arc over three months. Mm-hmm. I, they had a reason to give you my buck 50 every month or every every week or whatever. What are your thoughts on film versus
0: TV, the benefits and the cons? Oh, no. It's been, I in fact, think about it. Uh, that lovely scene with Kate and Yelena. I mean, it, in fact, it, based on that scene alone, I would sign up today. I, I, I'd go another three-year run mm-hmm. with Disney Plus for the Young Adventures to see those two together. Because, again, that that, that was a, a lovely scene that was comical but then turned serious. And, and as you mentioned, it, it was an exposition dump, but it was an entertaining exposition dump. And yeah. we, we got humor, and but then it got serious. And then the question of, well, he's a monster. Look what he did. And, and Kate trying to explain, you know, the, no, you know, somebody who who's a superhero, you know, or an Avenger has to do this sort of thing. And, you know, and your line is like, and how long have you known this guy? Well, oh, well a week just good writing coupled with good acting and two people who are very comfortable in their characters and it's just sort of i mean face it what's intriguing about television and it's kind of ironic because some of the characters that we love on television like house or or monk or Mm -hmm. or that sort of thing don't necessarily make us comfortable Mm -hmm. but but it is also about you're comfortable enough to invite this person into your house every week.
1: Like Dexter pushed the limits of that one, right? You know, it's like, here's a serial killer, but wait, 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 he's a good guy. He's a good serial killer. And you're like, "Oh, well, okay, one more episode." Yeah, <laughs> you
0: go. You know, but, but again a serial killer who kills serial killers. It yeah, was like,
1: yeah. "Okay." So, so a couple of things before we switch subjects in the in the opening scene, mm-hmm. I had to actually compare vests that Yelena was wearing versus the one in Hawkeye versus the one in Black Widow versus the one that Scarlet wears in Infinity War. Mm-mm. Do you know where I'm going with this? Um, it was going to break the timeline. I was so frantic mm-hmm. about this. Uh, in Black Widow, there's a scene where Scarlet and uh, and uh, Yelena are riding around in a car, and she's like, I got this new vest. It's got so many pockets. You can put so many things in it. <laughs>
0: You remember that scene? Yes, yes, I remember and that Like, scene.
1: oh, I knew you'd like my vest. This is so cool. Skick ass Anyway, she ends up giving that vest to Scarlet, and Scarlet ends up wearing the vest in Infinity War. And so they, they reverse, they retcon that one, the vest that that Scarlet War and in Infinity War, they gave to Yelena, so she was the originator of the vest. So that way, when you go back and watch Infinity War, you mm-hmm. go, oh, wow, look at that. It's a sisterly mm-hmm. love thing. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, in the in the beginning of Hawkeye, she's wearing a vest, mm-hmm. a black vest, and then she gets dusted away, and then she comes back, which means that Scarlet had to have come and gone by that point and is, is now dead. And if that were the case... She's not wearing the the right vest, and so I had to do a vest comparison, a forensic analysis of the vest, and we've come back with uh, it's a different vest, Jim. It's no big deal. Every okay, can
0: down. I, I was about to say <laughs> the and, and the irony that you do this on the day that what they dumped fifteen hundred documents for the JFK assassination. You know that, that's right. Like, yeah, you know, think about you know the conspiracy theorists folks who were. You know, miles deep in that stuff, and and you're doing best comparison. But yeah, but,
1: no, I, I do the important work, Jim. I do the important work only. There we go.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. Well, now to pivot to the film that I again want to stress that neither of us have seen at this point: Spider-Man: No Way Home. And largely positive reviews. In fact, a number of people have talked about, they were surprised about how emotional it was, that this is a film that basically tries to do the impossible. It brings all three variations of the Spider-Man film franchise together and tries to bring them together in a, a satisfying way and, and supposedly largely succeeds. You know, the w- only complaint I've really seen out there about this one, Aaron, is that people like, you know, the effect look, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse already did the multiverse thing in a, in a sure. visually stunning way. And in fact, I think you were pointing out on our last show with the now two sequels that are coming our way. We've got the, across the Spider-Verse part one and how they can, if, if what the filmmakers are saying are true, it's every one of the multiverse will have a distinctly different visual style.
1: Sony just found a money printing machine and they're going to, they just hit the on button and they've walked away. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to keep spitting it out, spitting it out year after year.
0: And that's fine. As long as it stays good, fine. Well, and now speaking of which though, that Sony and its money-making machine, the, the two end credit scenes here tie directly in one with Venom. In fact, it, it kind of picks up where Venom let there be carnages end credit scene uh, picked up. Then we of course get what, you and I both think really is the the first trailer for Multiverse of Madness, right?
1: I mean, it's cut like a trailer, but and that's fine if they add more to it or give us another alternate version later on, that's fine as well. But mm-hmm. usually, you know, like in the case of Venom, it was a scene, a mm-hmm. singular scene where he was at a bar mm-hmm. trying to figure out about this world of superheroes that he's now inhabiting. Mm-hmm. And... The Doctor Strange thing was like twenty scenes cut together really fast, which is a heck of a lot more like a trailer mm-hmm. than a scene. So yeah, I would I would definitely call the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness trailer as the second end
0: credit clip that we'll get at the end of Spider-Man. You have seen this. I have not. Mm-hmm. I have read descriptions of it. But this appears to be the first MCU film that that now ties directly in with a limited series. In in fact, you know, we've got Doctor Strange talking with Wanda and she supposedly tries to explain what went on in Westview, New Jersey, and Strange doesn't care. He just wants to know what she knows about the multiverse. But what do you make of what appears to be a direct tie-in with the Marvel What If Animated series?
1: I don't think that's that. Okay. I th- right. I think that we've got enough multiverse madness in mm-hmm. the live-action MCU via the Spider-Man movie that's coming out mm-hmm. and by what Wanda is has done and or will do in the future and Kang and Loki. I, th- I think we've got enough multiverse that we don't need to go all to the what-if universe as well mm-hmm. and say that... Because, I mean, that Doctor Strange... The, the Dark Sorcerer Supreme came from the comics, so mm-hmm. it could just be that they're going back to the, the source, the well of mm-hmm. inspiration, which was the comics, and they're giving us a Dark Sorcerer Supreme. What I have learned from this mm-hmm. is how to handle a mirror universe situation if your character already has a goatee. See, normally, I'm going to give you a quick primer. If, if okay. you were a, a good guy and you're yep. clean-shaven and you end up in a mirror universe where you meet the bad version of you, the bad version of you has a goatee. Ah, but what if the good version of you already has a goatee? The answer to that, Jim, is the mean, ugly, nasty version of you has a longer goatee, and that's it. <laughs> <sighs> Wow. <laughs> he does change his voice on the read of the line. It is a little bit um different than mm-hmm. the Doctor Strange that we're familiar with and I don't quite know. I have not yet formed my opinion on that voice of 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 that character yet. Okay. But uh we still have time and and who knows it may end up getting changed. It it may be Uh, just a shot in the thing. But the, so we had, uh, is it Baron Mordo who was the, one of the main characters of the first Dr. Strange. And at the end credit scene of that movie, they did a setup like he was going to end up being the bad guy for the sequel. And I, I am happy that they do bring him back. Mm -hmm. And it's about the fact that during the Spider-Man movie, Dr. Strange casts the spell and all this chaos was unleashed as a result. Mm -hmm. And so in this trailer, they say that he must pay for his insolence or whatever for, for casting the spell in the first place. And then you get Baron Mordo who says the biggest threat to our universe Mm -hmm. is you, Dr. Strange. And that's then when we get the glimpse of the dark sorcerer Supreme Mm -hmm. and he says his line about, Things happened. And then we get our regular good guy version of Dr. Strange, who has this very puzzled look on his face like, oh, what did I just do?
0: <laughs> okay. All right. I have to now go whack-a-mole. I got to find this thing. I'm not going to get to see this movie till probably Tuesday of next week. I mean, tickets are sold out. Or, you know, Nancy and I will you know, not be able to get to a matinee until Till then, but I mean, and and, and and let's be honest, we did know some of this was coming because the the giant tentacle monster thing. We had that Lego set that came mm-hmm. out, you know, or the image of the Doctor Strange Lego set that came out. So we kind of knew this was coming. But to sort of close things out, I gotta say that based on Episode Five of you know Hawkeye, and likewise what people are saying about Spider Man No Way Home, and it really sounds like the MCU is is firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Very happy that if Marvel Studios continues to chug along like this. That said, one disturbing bit of news came out of the world premiere of of Spider-Man in Hollywood. Uh, We were talking at the top of the show about Amy Pascal. She got asked by Variety uh, to follow up on her announcement about, oh, we've got another trilogy planned and, you know, it's going to be with Tom Holland and our association with the Marvel Studios is going to continue. And so, Variety asked for specifics about this and she appeared to walk her comments back you know in fact <laughs> she had to bend over because apparently she was talking out her a- <laughs> well, <laughs> she was quite the ventriloquist but yes that, that she said things to the effect of if it were up to her Sony and Marvel Studios uh, partnership would move forward so Kind of concerning, especially given, I guess, the way Spider-Man No Way Home leaves off, you know, sort of teeing up an interesting place for Peter Parker to be. But I can't I can't leave you there, folks. I got to leave you uh, on a happier note. So this is news coming out of Walt Disney World. Earlier this week on Twitter, there was a photo posted of a very happy set of Imagineers and construction people standing in front of... Guardians of the Galaxy, Cosmic Rewind, and what they revealed along with this photo is that these folks had just been on a test ride of this new indoor thrill ride with its storytelling coaster. Now, mind you, I've been told the track is, is up and running and the vehicles are up and running. A lot of the media uh, isn't necessarily in place yet but the ride system evidently works beautifully and they're ridiculously happy with it. And they're very much looking forward to bringing this online in 2022. So something else for us to look forward to in the new year. Okay. That's going to do it for this week, folks. Uh, Aaron, as always, uh, you know, great fun following you on social media. In fact, I was Enjoying? uh, Is it the mandolin or the ukulele you were talking about? uh, You know, the the mandolin. Its tuning is upside
1: down from a guitar. I was just at a store a couple of weeks ago and was about to buy a mandolin, and Mm. I ended up getting talked out of it because of the upside down tuning. And then I just ended up buying another acoustic guitar. Wow. Okay. Much to the chagrin of my wife, but (laughs)
0: yeah. Well, seriously, folks, Aaron on social media uh, isn't just entertaining. You learn things. So, yep. Aaron, if folks want to follow you on social media, how would they go about doing that?
1: Well, since I'll be in a theater watching Spider-Man very shortly, the best way to do it if you want to follow me is go on Fandango and uh, buy one ticket. I'll be in theater 13 watching in 3D. So if you actually see me with your own two eyes, I will be in 3D. If you do it in the 2D theater, I'll be
0: in 2D at Azaprod. On the other hand, if you're you're looking for us on social media, uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media. And on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Beyond that, folks, if you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the show you're listening to now, Marvelous Disney, uh, that would be helpful. If you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, well that's how Erin and I can actually afford copies of Alex Ross's new book so which I'll, I'm going to go order now but anyway thanks for listening folks and we will be back soon